Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Fragrances of the Con, now part of a digital breakfast. Uh, welcome to another edition of Fragments of Silicon. Uh, yeah, just, we're just trying to tread water on a very political night here. It's like um, right now the third presidential debate is going on and we are not watching it. I feel fine by this. Yeah, anyway, we have more important things to do. Yes. I watched all the other ones, but I think I'm okay catching the highlight reel for this one. Yeah, plus we're not recording MSP, so um, we're not going to actually talk about the debates. Um, we are a video game show, and I'm really glad for that uh, right now. <laughs> anyway, so I'm your host, Adam, and joining me as always are Galix. Yo. Teddy Fan. Hey, yo. And Twilight. Yo. All right, uh, let's get to the news. Um, Twilight, you lead us off this week. Um, well... Not that much going on. Changed the oil in my car, my mom's car, um, last Saturday. And not much else, really, when it comes to games. Um, been playing One Piece, and that's about it. <laughs> All right. Heavy uh, fan, um, what new horrors are going on in your life? Um... Other than my knee hurts, not a whole lot. That's a nice change of pace. Um, Friday we had our... Um, we streamed God Eater, and that's up on my YouTube channel now. So if you want to go look for that. Yeah, I, I, I think you put it up, what, today? Yeah. Yeah. And we also um, reviewed that up on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Yes. And I've also been playing the Pokemon Sun and Moon demo. I think I've done everything that you can today, and at least until the other events unlock in a few days. Yeah, you talked to the... The only thing that was today was the guy who gives you the uh, bunch of feathers. Mm. Um, I recently picked up... Um, Pac-Man Championship Edition 2 because it was like $10 on the Humble Store. It's not that bad, but they screwed up on the port and it can't. you can't change any of the video options, including um, the screen mode, so it can't be windowed. It can only be full screen. I'm like... Uh, I'm like... 
Bandai Namco is not the best at this. Yeah. I'm like, uh, like I'm having problems with uh, One Piece. Although, a lot of those seem to be performance-based, but I don't know. It's yeah. like, sometimes the, the app will work for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and I have, like, it, and I don't exactly know why, but mm. whatever. It's, yeah. like, I can play enough of it. Still trying to figure yeah. out how the multiplayer works in that. Like, yeah, that's going to be something we need to figure out by um, Friday. Yeah, It's like, I might bow out of the multiplayer, uh, given everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, we'll have to see if it works for me. I haven't even tried it yet. Yeah. So yeah. It might just be you and Twilight um, doing the multiplayer se- section. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, speaking of which, we might be getting um, Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2 here. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. Like, yeah, things have to come to fruition first, I'm guessing. Something. Uh, well, it's like... Um, uh, Xenoverse 2 isn't under our usual context um, direct view, I, mm-hmm. if you'll remember. So I don't know how much pull he has. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens. Like, so fact, we may only be getting one code. We may get all four. We don't. Know. I yeah. It's like well, I put in a whole bunch of game requests actually because well the roster is looking a bit thin up ahead. But yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Um. Anyway. Uh. Anything else from your end, Petty Fan? Um. Not at the moment. All right. Um. Alex, it's your go. Um, well, I actually have a surprising amount of video game stuff going on, although, well, I've been playing, um, still been playing a little bit of Gunvolt 2, and I restarted playing a bit of Gunvolt 1 in preparation for the uh, update patch for that that drops tomorrow. Uh, that has the uh, new translation in the Japanese language, so that'll be nice. Uh, also, there are a few games on the... Uh, eShop that are coming out. I, I already picked up Guruman 3D, which I haven't gotten much time to play yet, but it's very cute. Um, and uh, tomorrow, I think Breath of Fire is coming out on the eShop, and I always wanted to play that. Uh, um, it's uh, 3DS uh, eShop. Right. Uh, it's already uh, it's been out on the Wii U for a long time. Breath of Fire 2 as well. Uh, well, it'll it, it's easier for me to play on the 3DS, so I'll probably get those there. Um, and we have Plantera, and I need to fire up uh, One Piece to play for review and possible multiplayer this weekend. So, yeah. got a pretty full plate that way. Um, uh, house is a little bit chaotic this week because we're having uh, most of our windows replaced. Oh, fun. Um mm because we have old-ass windows that are really with really rickety storm windows and stuff, so we're getting mm. them replaced with uh, modern windows that are both simpler to open and close and clean and uh, also hold heat better because it's going to be winter before we know it. And the wi- Yeah, the windows in the place I'm at are really weird. They're triple um, paned or something like that. Mm. Like, hmm. 
I don't know. Anyway, it's going fairly smoothly so far, but it's certainly louder and stuff in the morning than usual, so. Uh, Other than that, uh, oh yeah, and I don't know if I'll be up in time for the uh, next uh, announcement thing tomorrow morning, but I'm going to try to, because that should be interesting. Mm -hmm. Although apparently it's going to be a pretty short thing. Oh yeah, and I'm having I'm 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 having uh, mixed feelings about how to approach the uh, big Pokedex leak for uh, Sun and Moon. Oh right. I'm not I'm not I'm not uh. inspecting everything, but I'm trying not to completely avoid stuff. But it looks mostly cool, although I am slightly disappointed at the lack of quantity. Well, there's going to be there 800 are. Pokemon in total, so. I know, but there aren't that many new ones, which is probably partially because of the switch to models. And also, yeah. there aren't as many. It, it would be I would be more okay with there only being less than a hundred new Pokemon if yeah, uh, okay. there were more Alola forms because there aren't as many as those as a lot of people were expecting. Now, this and also, also I, I I think Nintendo may have overplayed their hand in the previews slightly because they did show off a much greater proportion of things than they usually do. That said, uh, the uh, gameplay is pretty solid, although they took out tiptoeing, um, which is slightly sad, but yeah. Um, it looks pretty good so far, so I'm looking forward to that when it happens. Yeah. Uh, anything else? That, I think, is all. all right. um, let's see, my news, uh, nothing in particular um, that I can think of going on this week. Uh, let's see, um, it's getting somewhat colder down here like in the evening such but um global warming is a thing so <laughs> it's it's apparently still hot um in most of the nation also people yeah. who live in florida don't know the meaning of the word cold <laughs> well it's like here unless it was just like in up, the 80s visited other places in winter yeah yeah still generally mass here Anyway, um, let's see. MSP has wrapped up for the uh, season at long last. Um, like that was a season. Um, I think lasted uh, nine months there due to various. Something like that. Well, due to Max schedule um, fluctuations, we there were weeks there that we um, didn't have a show. You know, sometimes while this show was broadcasting. Now that was fun. But, you know, that bit of um, roulette is done for the year. You know, it's like um, season 12 will be happening sometime early 2017. I know um, Mac is targeting January, but, you know. You know how this works. Yeah, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not. It's like it all depends on what the revamp plans are Mm -hmm. going to look like. Um, you know, this show will continue broadcasting um, as regular into January. I'm like, um, you know, we'll, we'll be off for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, only one week uh, off for Christmas this week, uh, this year. Like, uh, let's see. Yeah, games we're reviewing this week, um, we'll talk more about um, at the bottom of the show. And I think about uh, I think that's about 
it for my news. Um, so anyway, um, welcome to the... So merrily we shall roll along to the interview portion of the broadcast. And this week we have um, Corey Held of Underbite Games. How you doing? Fine. Um, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, a little tired, but uh, we're getting close to the end here and uh, looking forward to some sleep in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> That's good to hear. That's good to hear. All right, so um, we'd like to start our interviews off by asking, um, what got a person into video games? You know, what, what, what first sparked your passion for this um, hobby slash work profession of yours? Sure. I mean, I, I think the, the biggest thing is I've done uh, several different jobs in the past, and um, it seems like most jobs end up, no matter how creative they sound when they start, um, mm-hmm they eventually turn into feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over again. Um, And one of the cool things with game development, game design, uh, and games in general is that you're constantly looking for something new. um, And uh, it's just a new challenge all the time. So you've got new hardware, new tech, new ideas, um, new trends, all that kind of thing. So um, that's something that I really, really enjoy as far as from a job standpoint. Um, my reason for loving games is a little bit different, but, uh, you know, as far as getting into the industry, that was the main driving force. Hmm. And, uh, how many like projects have you worked on, um, thus far? Boy, um, as far as games go, I've, I've been in games for over seven years, so, um, a lot of times we've done a lot of uh, outsourcing projects is what our past has been. Um, so I'd, I'd have, to, have a hard time putting a number on that. Um, but it's been a lot of uh, projects from everywhere from working with, you know, small indie developers, helping them with projects to um, we've worked with, with Disney on some big name brand stuff and Nickelodeon and um, we actually work with Zanga and that kind of thing as well. So, um, it's been kind of the spectrum, but a lot of it's been focused on uh, what I would, we would call outsourcing, uh, you know, work for hire type stuff. And uh, we're with this project, we've been able to uh, focus on something that we would like to make, uh, something we would play. Hmm. And, um, well, uh, were you a founder of Underbite Games? Yes. Um, well, uh, can you tell us, um, how, well, like, how many people work at Underbite Games? We're actually a pretty small team, um, and uh, so we're at um, eight people right now, um, and that's a bit of, uh, uh, there's a couple people that are um, not full-time, mm-hmm. and then we've got a pretty extensive uh, freelance and, and uh partnership agreements with people around us. So we can expand as needed, but um, really with this, we, we wanted a small team that we're all taking part in the project. We're all contributing. Um, you know, we can just look up from our desk and, and uh, get people's feedback and comments and that kind of thing. So, Right. And um, uh, have you been, has um, Underbite been around for seven years? No, I, I was uh, a partner in another studio, and um, we did, again, more outsourcing, but the goal of the, of the company was not necessarily to make um, 
to make games. Um, and so uh, eventually we decided, uh, my team and I, to kind of split off from that and create Underbite. Um, but because we weren't financed by someone backing us and that kind of thing, we had to get back in and, and do some outsourcing to, to generate some revenue um, to be able to pay and finance you know, the project we're working on now. Now, when you say outsourcing, is that like developing assets for a game, or is that like porting a game to a new system? Or it, It's a mix. That's a good question. So we've done, uh, my background myself is in design and in art, um, but we've done everything from pure code support. So we had some people say, hey, we want, you know, these features. Can you, can you develop, you know, some tools or, or a component in the game to do these things? Uh, we've been contracted to do an entire game. So um, one of the projects was take like a board game and make it a digital version. Or um, we've uh, worked on um, pure art projects as well, where someone just said, hey, we like what you guys do. Um, can you make some characters and some environments and that kind of thing for us? So um, it's really made us pretty versatile just because we never know where uh, projects were, would be coming from, what style they're looking for, how they code, that kind of thing. So it's definitely uh, made us better in everything we do. So That's, uh, that's good to hear. And um, indeed, um, is Super Dungeon Tactics your first original project? That's correct. Uh, that's what I thought. Um, so where did this idea uh, come from to do this? Um, okay, well, to back up a bit, what is Super Dungeon Tactics for uh, the audience who might not know what the game is? Sure. Um, it's a uh, PC-based, uh, PC and Mac, um, turn-based strategy game um, that uh, at its core, it plays very much like uh, an Advance Wars uh, Final Fantasy Tactics kind of feel. Um, but we feel like we've definitely added a couple mechanics in there that, that will help separate it from some of those other great titles out there um, to make it something new. Um, so that's the, the core of what the game is. It's a fantasy-based. Um, the heroes are actually from uh, a physical um, tabletop miniatures game called Super Dungeon Explorer um, by Soda Pop Miniatures. Oh, man, I've um, actually played the physical version of that. Oh, have you? That's awesome. Um, so we took the heroes from that and we've, we've worked with those guys for quite a while. They're fantastic. And, and we've just really got to know them pretty well. Um, and basically we, we had an opportunity to either do something small using, um, you know, kind of like a little mobile game using the property, but we didn't feel like it did it justice. And so we said, Hey, we think this is our opportunity to, you know, take these amazing characters, this world and, uh, make the product we would, we would want to make. And um, that's kind of how, the, how it got started. So in a way, it's kind of a partnership, but they've been uh, very, very loose on the reins. Um, so if it's something specific to the brand uh, of Super Dungeon Explorer, we've you know, run that by them to make sure we're on brand and, and that kind of thing. But as far as game mechanics and gameplay, um, we kind of took that in our direction, that, the direction we wanted to go. Hmm. Well, uh, Galix, uh, do you want to ask some questions about this since this is kind of your um, forte? 
Uh, I don't have... I, I'm a little bit unprepared, but yeah, I, I don't know, just sort of stuff about how it involves adapting. All right. Sorry. That's all no. right. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't think Alex was aware of this, but... Yeah, and I, was, I wasn't... I'll, I will be honest, I was distracted by something just now, so I did not <laughs> catch everything leading up to that question. I, um, well, um, uh, what have you adapted uh, from the tabletop version? What's your own original creation from this? Sure. The you know the the things that are the same are the are the heroes. Um, you know the the characters that they've created. Um, we didn't see a need to go in and, and remake. You know the main heroes and some of even the enemies. Mm-hmm. Although we were able to expand on that um, the enemy types quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, some of the terms, um, there are, there is a, a pretty large fan base of the board game. So we use a lot of the same terms. So things like we call it Lance, which is a, when you hit multiple tiles at the same time in a, in a orthogonal straight line direction, um, or burst or things like that. Some terms that they've used in the board game, we've applied those where it fit our game. Um, but beyond that, uh, as far as how combat works, how initiative works, um, even what the abilities are, um, we, those are all fresh and new to us. Um, and then besides a couple things where we were like, hey, there's some cool concept art, let's make this in 3D, um, the world itself uh, is never really been explored in the way that we're doing it in the digital game. So um, that was really fun to kind of present our ideas of what this area could look like and get them excited to say, hey, this is, we've never seen this before in our world because we've never been able to explore it. Um, Did you stick with something pretty similar to the way that potions, because one of the things in Super, Super Dungeon Explorer that I thought was cool was the way they handled potions is a thing that every character has their own potion, but potion counters are sort of a shared resource that like some characters can give to other people and stuff. Um no, we, we kind of uh, took hints of that. And so basically as a player, um, you have what we call consumables. And consumables are player-controlled items that let you kind of cheat fate and, and kind of uh, push things a little bit more in the way you want to. So you have potions that are global for your party. You have other consumables that might boost your attack or strength or movement. Um, we actually have dice in the game, which sounds really odd for a digital product, but um, that's one of the things that people are really loving when they've played the game at the, at the events we've been at across the country. Um, they've really, really enjoyed that component to it, and we have ways that you can kind of cheat dice because sometimes, you know, random number generation is, is, can get in the way. Um, you know, you're right next to a character, and you go to attack them, and, and you do zero damage. You're like, what the heck? Um, so... What we did is we took that idea of those, you know, in a sense what they had were they had potion tokens you could put on any character and do, whatever, you know, these special events. In our case, we just said the party as a whole has an inventory of things that you can apply to kind of um, say for uh, different events in the game. Right, and um, to, to dig in a bit deeper, what exactly do you use dice for in this game? Sure. So um, basically, when you um, when you start playing, the first thing you're going to see is is very simple 
um, dice that come out, and, and there's gonna only going to be a few symbols on them. They, they boost your attack, your movement, uh, give you a little bit of health and defense. Um, every character has base stats, so you, can, you have your movement, your attack, your armor, um, although early characters don't have uh, much in the way of armor. Um, you have base stats that you have, and we never stop you from really using those base stats, but the dice get rolled before every round, and you are allowed to boost your characters in different ways. So it could be you're trying to take out a large enemy, so you give them a boost to attack. Um, maybe you want to get your mage in the middle of things, but you're worried she's going to take too much damage, so you give her a defense boost, which reduces damage coming in that round. Um, but you're kind of at the fate of what the dice are, and then you assign those to your characters. So it's kind of like a resource in a way, is the way people have kind of looked at it, is every round you have these resources, which are the dice. How do you use those to, uh, to alter your characters? And then later on as you play, the enemies actually start to have their contribute dice to this big pool, um, and they start taking dice from that pool on their turns, so you're kind of doing a little bit of denial of what you don't want the enemy to have as well as what you want. Um, and the enemy can do all kinds of crazy stuff when they start getting dice as well. So different types of attacks and um, passive abilities like intercepting strikes and different things like that. Um, so the dice are a major factor in that if you thought about something like Advanced Wars where you know uh, you do X damage to X thing, um, with this, you could use the dice to boost that tank so that maybe that tank can move further, or you use this dice to boost its strength or its range or something like that. Um, and then again, as the game progresses, you get access to special abilities through the dice as well. So maybe some kind of special power attack, uh, defensive ability, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of how they're used in the game. Um, and the dice are actually generated based on the hero's gear and equipment. So when you play the game at start, you're using dice that are kind of based on their starter gear, and, and they're very simple. Um, but as you go along and you start to build out your hero with different equipment, um, you have four different types of equipment. Um, each piece of equipment uh, provides different sides to the, to the die faces, and actually the die gets bigger and bigger as it goes along and more complex as the game becomes more complex. And those are just different boosts that you get uh, through your hero. Indeed. Uh, so that begs this question, just how complex is this uh, dice system going to get, like in the end game or post game or, uh, you know, the late stages of the game? I mean, in, in, the, in, in total, there's actually not that many symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you know, your basic symbols, so your move, attack, defense, and heal. You have skulls, which are negative things, because bad things happen in battle. Enemies usually prosper from those. And then really you only have two additional ones, which are red and green, or red and blue specials. And these are active and passive specials. So there's not a ton of things that are, uh, like all kinds of things that are showing up on the dice. You're, You're familiar with those symbols very quickly as to what's going on, but what's unique about it is um, how your characters, you know, trying to, um, how your characters use those dice, so what that red special means for your ranger is different than what it means for your mage. 
because um, those give you additional types of attacks. Um, and so the dice become fairly simple and very easy. It's the heroes, how they react to that, that starts to grow. Um, and then you actually get equipment that can allow you to alter the dice um, to give you more chances of getting a certain type of thing. Um, so if you want to increase your movement of your fighter because he's really, really slow, you can do that through uh, enhancing the dice, giving him more movement bonuses, for instance. Um, I've also taken a character, like I, there's a character in the game I like called the Questing Knight. Um, and I'm, I tend to use Paladins too much. Um, and so one of the things I was able to do with the Questing Knight was actually give him uh, some healing abilities through the dice mechanic so I could kind of make a pseudo paladin out of my knight um, and, you know, kind of give my paladin uh, a break from, from the action, so. Hmm. And um, how many characters will be, like, on the field at one, any given time? Uh, you're talking about just good guys or...? or um, both sides. Like, um, you know, how many, how many uh, good guys can you have? And, like, what are the biggest battles going to look like? So the, the biggest battles, um, we haven't, uh, it's, um, the biggest battles are going to have to 10 heroes on one side, um, which is going to be pretty intense. Um, and then as far as enemies go, um, it's a little bit different than, um, you know, having heroes versus heroes, so good and bad heroes. There's a lot of uh, what we call insignificant and minion heroes. So um, some of the skeleton levels, um, there's tremendous amounts of, of bad guys. Um, like one of the levels in particular, uh, your goal is to kill 30 enemies before one of the bosses shows up, and that's not even all the enemies that are on screen. Um, so they're, they're pretty epic. Um, but we also do some interesting things with um, most levels you'll find that either heroes or other people, NPCs, <clears throat> are joining your battle so your party actually can grow uh, as you're playing through. Um, it can also get split up because um, like in Final Fantasy or Advanced Wars or something like that, you play what I would call a tile or a game board or, a, you know, one level is what you see. Um, in Super Dungeon Tactics, uh, often the levels um, we have multiple, what we call multiple encounters. Mm -hmm. So you might start outside of a cave, move into the cave, then the party splits two different directions, so you play the left uh, hallway in the right hallway uh, with two different smaller parties, then you might come together as a, as a big group again to fight something else. Um, and each one of those encounters could have different objectives from kill everything to uh, find certain components, kill a certain enemy, get to a certain point. Um, so it, it's very, very different in how that mechanic works. Hmm. Yeah, that brings back some memories of, like, Vance Wars and um, Shining Force. Uh, now, Is it square-based or more analog in terms of movement? It's square-based. So you, you actually see the grid. Um, 
and uh, you know, from that side of things, it's it. You know, you, you mentioned what what is it sure with a board game? There's certain components that make it feel like, in a sense, a digital board game in some essence. Because um, you see the grid. Um, when you actually move characters, you actually pick them up, and so they're dangling, their feet are kind of wiggling around, and you drop them where you want them. Um, so there's a very kind of, in a sense, godlike feel when you're playing the game of you're controlling these group of heroes. And um, flipping things a bit, what kinds of monsters or enemies and... Indeed, is there a story to Super Dungeon Tactics, or is it just kind of fighting random battles? No, it's it's a very heavy story-driven. So those that love, um, you know, uh, the traditional, you know, you've got that character bust that comes in and gives you the the monologue, the, the speech, and you get into the story and start to learn all what's going on. Um, it's a full campaign game it's 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 meant to be um a way to kind of experience what's going on with these heroes as they try and start up a new hero guild in the middle of nowhere um this town they discover what's going on with it there's some odd things with it and all that kind of comes together in the end um so it's it's very heavy story driven um and uh it's really cool one of the things we did is is during story you have a lot of choice about who you bring on the party with you. Um, and so there's times in battle where the, there's dialogue and that the story actually reacts to who's talking is actually who you bring. Um, and with 15 different heroes, that was an interesting challenge to um, have it so that everyone is, is, is there and present. They can be. So... Along those lines, um, is death permanent, or is it like um, your heroes will come back after the battle? It's Death is not permanent. Um, in fact, with our multi-encounter system, heroes will actually come back after an encounter to the next one, although with lower health mm-hmm. or low health. Um, really, because of uh, the difficulty can get pretty high as you go along, especially if you bump the difficulty settings up. Um, there's so many heroes and so many uh, different heroes and equipment and and that kind of thing that we actually wanted to encourage people to try crazy things, to to try different heroes, do different things, because all your leveling is handled through your gear, not your heroes. So um, we wanted you to experiment and have fun with that and be okay with failing. Um, Not to the point of like an FTL where... (laughs) we pretty much make you fail. Um, but to the point where there's nothing wrong with going into a level, all you're going to lose is the, um, the, the loot you would have gotten as you played through that level mm-hmm. from the enemies. You'll lose that if you fail. And otherwise you can jump right back in. Neat. Yeah, because I could name some, uh, real, uh, some turn-based strategy games that do use death, Fire Emblem. Yep. <laughs> and that really changes the way you play. Yeah. Like, especially since, um, you know, uh, in Fire Emblem, um, who dies is it can be really story important. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, how long would you say a 
a match would last or uh, like a multi-encounter would last. And um, like, uh, can you stay during a battle? So um, they can go anywhere from, you know, ones could be 15 minutes, uh, you know, as you're starting to get into the game. As you go along, a full quest that has four or five encounters in it might take somewhere between 40 minutes to an hour and a half um, in, in the mid-game. Mid um, you're not allowed to save during a, 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 an encounter, but you can save after each encounter. And then when you come back in, you can jump right back into that point and, and continue on. Um, that also allows you to be risky in the, <coughs> excuse me, on the next encounter. You know, if you're like, hey, I've, I want to save, and we, we encourage you uh, to actually save in between each encounter um, just in case something goes wrong. I mean, there are dice, so you can get hosed by dice. There is an initiative system that's, that's randomized as you go along, so you can get hosed by that. Um, and you can just make bad choices. So um, we definitely try and create as many opportunities for you to, you know, recover from those things as we can. Um, as you go along, though, the end levels um, will likely be much, much longer. So get to a, get, getting through an entire level of all the encounters of some of the late levels uh, could be, you know, well over an hour and a half to two hours to get through, um, you know, those encounters. All right. That, um, so. that brings back some memories. Uh, that brings back some Advanced Wars and Shining Force 2 memories. <laughs> I hope those are good ones. Yeah, I'm like, um, they were certainly long ones. You know, like, like fighting Zeon in Shining Force 2 comes to mind. Uh, anyway, uh, so is this a single-player affair, or will there, will there be multiplayer options? So, um, you know, every developer that starts off has high hopes of a lot of different things. So um, we have, uh, the, the game will launch as a single-player game. Um, we have couch competitive uh, systems in place. Um, we've actually had the game working on an arcade system. If, uh, I don't know if you went to PAX, um, but uh, at PAX West and East and um, South, we had the arcade system there um, where you could play PvP, uh, an option with the game. Hmm. Um, so we would love to kind of push that further um, with some, you know, before we launch it, we decided to hold off on that and make it right as opposed to putting something out there that's just sort of halfway done. Um, so some ideas we've got for that is, you know, kind of a tournament mode or just a, you know, a straight up the other person. Um, but with PC, you know, and Mac, we'd love to have it where it's, it's, at least local local uh, network, um, so you can be on your own systems. Um, and I think also as we go to console uh, early next year, um, then you know the couch competitive next you know same system type PVP will be uh, very valid in that case as well. Okay, so you have been looking uh, to bring Super Dungeon Tactics to console as well. Right, we've it, the game's been approved. Um, and we're uh, set up to be developers. You know, we are developers for PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo. Mm. Um, so um, we have dev kits of some of those in our office right now. Um, 
but the focus was getting it on PC. Uh, obviously, it's easier to update and and uh, um, mm-hmm. you know build it that way first, um, and then start to move it towards the other platforms um, as quickly as we can. Makes sense. Makes sense. Especially since you are a small team. Um, right. Is, um, uh, as far as that question, is this game being built in like Unity, or is it using like a custom uh, engine solution? No, we're we're building in Unity, so it's been a fantastic tool for us, and it's allowed the entire team, um, my you know even my artists uh, were were in Unity, um, adjusting things, putting characters in. Um, it allows the whole team to be a part of development. Uh, hmm. uh, no doubt. Like um, it's one of the advantages of Unity, and you know we have a lot of people who speak about Unity on the uh, program here. Um, on that note, have you ever, have you been looking into Super Dungeon Tactics for say handhelds and/or mobile? Because uh, you know I'll be honest, this is the kind of game that I really enjoyed on a handheld system. Sure. So, um, I mean, the good news is Unity just announced that uh, 3DS support is is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually is available in some in some form and fashion. So, um, that yeah, on, the new, is, on the new 3DS at least. Yep. So um, I'm very very excited about that because I think on a 3DS uh, it would be a fantastic uh, game for that. Um, and uh, adding the PvP, you know, option, or even a, the other thing we've been requested about is co-op. Um, so, you know, looking at some options like that on a handheld would be fantastic. Um, so, I, I would say mobile is a pretty far is pretty far out, um, just because from an indie standpoint, the mobile market is now kind of dominated by either major players or people who have uh, marketing dollars, you know, that are through the roof. Um, you know, now there's tactics of going out and paying people to give you reviews so you can get in the top 10. Um, we're not going to do that, you know, uh, both because we don't have the money and also more importantly, because that's just not the way you get, you should get reviews. Uh, um, it's also know. the, um, well, from what I've seen from, and what you've said about the design, this is a much more traditional style of uh, turn-based strategy instead of, like, Clash of Clans or something like that. Correct. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, you know we, we've had uh, other developers on our program mention the problems of getting into mobile, and one of the things that they mention is, you know, the structure of their game. Like, yep. You know, I, like, uh, I'm assuming, like, this is a paid product, not free-to-play. That's correct. Yeah, so th- that's something that would have to be reworked for um, mobile, most likely. Yeah. If, if it's super successful, you can pull an X, you know, like what XCOM did, which was awesome. Right. You know, drop a game out there for $10 and, and you know, but as of right now, we're not, we're not able to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if it was successful and there was an interest in it, you know, it would be something we'd consider, but the consoles would come first and, you know, to be honest, our fan base, we'd want to listen to them and, and see where they want us to go because I'd rather support a really strong, loyal fan base that's a little bit smaller than, as opposed to trying to do mass market and please everyone who is used to free-to-play games. Oh, no doubt. Like, 
like I said, uh, you know, personally, I wouldn't mind seeing this on the new 3DS because, like I said, mm-hmm. yeah, I enjoyed a lot of Fire Emblem and Advance Wars on like the the DS and so forth, and you know, this is you know, this would probably be a good fit for it. I mean, I'm not sure what you'd have to do to scale it down to 3DS level, but um, you know. I guess that's something for the future. Uh, anyway, um, getting back to the PC version, how long have you been working on this uh, particular version of the game? Um, we showed the uh, the first early, early demo. So we came up with the concepts um, in um, June of, what would it be, 20... Sorry, I'm terrible with my, with my years. 2016? Mm-hmm. Um, so a year ago, uh, and in one month we put together a playable demo that was PVP, uh, and showed it at PAX West, um, and got a lot of excitement about the game. Um, so that's when we got started, uh, and, uh, we're shipping next month. So, um, we're, uh, I don't know, what is that, uh, 14, 16 months, maybe 16 months hmm. um, development. Like that's a fair amount of development for a game. Like, and um, when you uh, do you have an exact release date for Super Dungeon Tactics yet, or is that still kind of up in the air? We we have a date. We've uh, <laughs> we were hoping to ship early, early uh, or late summer. Um, so we've been hesitant to give the exact date just in case something comes up so we don't tick people off. Um, we do have a, a, a date that's uh, hidden in Steam. Um, and internally, yes, we have a date that we're releasing by, and it is November. Um, but uh, we've, we've kind of been holding off on that. Um, although it's, we're, uh, as we get into the final stages here and get into testing uh, mode, Things are looking very, very good, so um, I don't see any reason why we're going to miss it. So that's good to hear because, uh, like I said, I, I I've been intrigued with what I've uh, seen so far. I'm hoping that we can review the game once it gets uh, released. Certainly. I mean, we'll probably, you know, I'll be in contact um, once the release date is known and all that. Uh, anyway, um, uh, pricing. Uh, do you know a price for the game yet? Yep, we're uh, 1995, uh, 99 whatever ends up being uh, on Steam. Yeah. Uh, so twenty dollars. Um, hmm. We, uh, I, I feel like the game is hopefully going to be worth more. Um, mm-hmm. But out of the gate, we really are looking for, you know, showing what kind of developing studio we are, and that we'd love to give more than what's expected. Uh, hopefully, that comes across and. Um, I'm like, if it, so. yeah, well, if the content is as in-depth as you say it is, it's, I, I'd say $20 would be a good investment, now, because, like, um, tactics games can last you hundreds of hours, you know, just on that metric alone. Um, any sort of DLC plans, aside from the multiplayer um, in the works, or is it going, like, when the game is uh, finished, is that it, as far as the single player goes? No, we've um, we actually have equipment and and story and all that 
that we could do uh, much beyond what the game is. Um, it'll expand quite nicely. Um, if we do DLC, you know, it, it, hopefully we can. That's our that's our hope uh, that there's a an audience for it, and um, we feel like there will be. So we that's why we plan for it. And um, if we do it, it's going to be what we would call meaningful DLC. So you're not going to be buying swords and and shields and and skin packs. You're going to be buying uh, a lot of good content. Um, I'd like, like to new, see some new maps, new heroes, more like. Yeah, full quests. Um, so, well, you know, the the, the way this, the game is currently is almost like two chapters of gameplay. Um, there's two major components that happen in the game. Um, we'd like to see, you know, at least 50% of what's in the game is what you get for DLC. Um, you know, and, and hopefully shooting for something like a $5 price point for that or, or, or something like that. Um, so that's the kind of thing we'd like to to go into. Um, so, huh. well, that's uh, um, would it all be paid DLC, or would there like be some free DLC in the mix? <laughs> if we're working on if we if we get the opportunity to work on on paid DLC, there will be some nice freebies uh, that come along. Um, we've already been contacted by a couple. Uh, players for um, even some cameos, which would be really, really fun. Um, that would be, you know, maybe some little, you know, some free side quests and mini missions you could do uh, that fit into the, the mechanics of the game. Um, and uh, the way it's set up, uh, you have your campaign, but you also have mini missions. And then we have what we call bounty missions, which are, those are really your um, test out heroes, get loots, you know, that kind of thing, type missions that are not required, but they're just available. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the minis and the bounties, we could certainly keep populating, uh, you know, quite a bit um, while we're working on story that kind of pushes, you know, what's going on with the characters further. Like, oh, it sounds like you have a lot of ideas uh, post-release. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, no. Right, so um, we're getting low on time for the interview, uh, so just a couple more questions. Um, we've talked a lot about the battle and what's going on inside of those. Um, is there anything happening outside of that? Um, is there, like, uh, or is it just like um, um, framing to, uh, for each encounter? Uh, you mean like something, some kind of like, are you base building and that kind of thing? Yeah, are, are you just base building, like upgrading your heroes, or is there like exploration in this game? No, it's it's definitely the story drives, you know, in the in the in the available levels uh, that you have. So you have more than one option at a time, but um, as you play along, those drive where you're going to go. So you don't, there's no free walking around that kind of thing. Um, I will say in the guild hall, which is what you're building as a hero, um, by the time you get done, because uh, each hero has uh, what we call class items. Each hero has two different class items. There's four total uh, in the game. Um, each class item that you put on a hero gives them a new unique ability. 
and no heroes share any of the same abilities. So with 15 heroes, each of them have two uh, abilities that can be brought out. That's like 30 different abilities that are unique. Um, there's nine different weapon types, all of them completely unique from each other. None of them share anything. There's four armor classes, and then there's trinkets. And trinkets are not just um, things to be kind of thrown on for cosmetics. They, they're huge components in how you uh, customize your hero, how the dice work, all different kinds of aspects you can manipulate with those. So um, there's actually, for those people who really like to tweak things, uh, you'll spend a lot of time trying to optimize what heroes equipment are and what benefits you're going to get from those things. Um, because even as designers of the game, we found that as we were playing the game, there was more uh, depth and more strategy than what we even anticipated there being in the game um, through aggro systems and uh, targeting systems and that kind of thing. So. Okay. And um, finally, uh, from, at least for me, um, is anything you're working on um, being reworked back into, like, the um, tabletop game? Um, one of the cool things that came from it is uh, one of the, the main bosses from the game ended up being a miniature. They made an actual miniature of him to play in the board game. Um, that miniature also comes with a Steam key for the digital game. Um, so that was really cool to see. Like, we got the... <laughs> I have one on my desk, and it's like here's a character from my game as a miniature. So not many uh, indies get to have that opportunity. No, uh, no, indeed. All right. Um, uh, I'll ask, I'll see if my crew here has any la final questions. Uh, guys? Well, you seem like you pretty have a pretty good handle on where you want to go with it. I had some questions earlier on about uh, multiplayer and... Uh, if it would be cooperative or player versus player or player versus enemy, but that looks like it's uh, a rather player versus player as heroes or kind of like in the tabletop game, if, if there would be a mode that would be like a few players as heroes and then one person controlling the monsters. But sure. Um, obviously you seem like you have some ideas of what you're doing with that, but yeah, we'd love to do a couple modes. One of them is, uh, the tournament mode where you can pick heroes whether they're good or bad and you competitively play in a tournament to see who can get to the, the top um, which I think would be really fun with a turn-based game and uh, using enemy heroes and well as you know the good heroes um, and then yes we'd, we'd, it, the system is set up so that we could actually um, control enemy uh, enemy masses <laughs> just like the board game is. So you could have four human good players playing against one person playing as the bad guys. Uh, and that would in the system we have. That would be pretty cool. All right, um, Everything I was going to ask has already been answered, so... Right. Hmm, i got no questions, but from what I've heard, I'm really interested in playing it now. All right. Uh, We'd love to get you guys, um, you know, even, uh, you know, talking. We're going to be uh, uh -huh. early beta testing. Um, if you guys are interested in early copies, you know, we'd love to have, you know, we're very open to have people try out the game. Sure. Uh, um, and if, 
we could uh, like we could do the beta thing and um, Petty Fans are streamers, so he could put that out. Uh, so yeah, sure. we could uh, completely do that. Be fantastic. I really appreciate it. All right, uh, no problem. And uh, we uh, likewise we appreciate you uh, taking time out of your schedule to be with us this week. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right, no problem. All right. Super Dungeon Tactics. It's coming in November for twenty dollars. Uh, it's coming to PC and Mac. Um, another question: Is there? A, are you looking into Linux? Uh, we are looking to Linux. Um, that's. Uh, it may come a little bit after, mm-hmm. um, but I don't see any reason why we're not going to be able to hit Linux. Um, and uh, and also just to note, the Steam store is up, so you can add it to your wish list. Right. Um, so just as a as a plug. <laughs> so indeed. All right. Um, so once again, thank you for joining us, and um, we look forward to playing the game in the near future. Awesome. Right. Thank you so much. No problem. Uh, Petty fan, play us to the next section. All right, um, welcome to the topic of discussion for this week. Um, continuing on from last week, we're talking more, uh, about more Duke Nukem. All right, um, last Almost time... like Duke Nukem's a thing. Yeah, well, um, last time we left off with uh, Duke Nukem 3D... Um, we hadn't quite completed the story on that. That is to say, we talked about the main original game and, you know, the re-releases, but we didn't talk about the ports. Now, Duke Nukem... Oh, God, the ports. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Duke Nukem 3D, being a very popular FPS at the time, saw a number of ports to the systems of the age, and also saw ports um, outside of time, like... um, there's the Xbox Live Arcade port, which is actually really important. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, like um, back in the day, Duke Nukem 3D got ports to all three systems that were alive at the time. You know, even the Saturn, which was um, actually kind of considered to be, you know, a pretty. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a major miracle, but um, it was a pretty impressive technical feat understand because um duke nukem 3d on the saturn is actually a complete reworking of the game in a different engine um isn't it one of like one of the better versions of the game opinion seems to be divided on that like Mm -hmm. i know lgr isn't a big fan of that version um but it yeah in general it's considered to be one of the better versions yeah at least technically speaking like it may not be quite as technically impressive as bringing Quake to the Saturn, mm-hmm. but you know, and it was the same company that did that. Um, so getting back, uh, getting into the history of the Saturn version, um, the game was converted by uh, Lobotomy Software. They are, they were the one. Um, they made a conversion of a game called Exum Power Slave. Um, I think we talked about that briefly when we had Night Dive on one of the. Yeah times you know they were on but at least we at least mentioned it i don't know if we actually talked about what the game is yeah well it, power slave was kind of the um the first successful um first person adventure game like it's metroid prime before it was metroid prime at least the 
console versions were. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was kind of the same deal. Uh, like uh, the PC version was built in the build engine, and Lobotomy created what they called the slave driver engine to create what is uh, considered to be the definitive version of Exhumed or Power Slave, depending mm-hmm. on your country of origin. Like, and, yeah, cause- you know, and, and the Saturn version of uh, Duke Nukem 3D was done with the same engine. And that actually has, um, well, that actually means uh, I believe that the levels are actually in full 3D. It's still got mm. sprite. Now, um, but, uh, you know, it's actually a really impressive conversion of, uh, of the game. And indeed, it was one of the la- last, uh, or at least latter, uh, games brought to the, to the mix. Like, it also had things like, um, it actually had online multiplayer. Like, believe it or not. Um, Sega, ha- like, Sega had this um, modem, like the SegaNet. I can't remember the exact name of the uh, device, but um, they had a few games that had online multiplayer, which was mm-hmm. obviously a very big deal back in the day. Yeah. And, um, but I'm I suppose I'm kind of dancing around what Duke Nukem 3D for the Saturn is really known for. And that's Death Tank. Mm-hmm. Or specifically, uh, <laughs> like, um, Death Tank's Y. Okay, so um, who knows what Death Tank is? I do not know what Death Tank is. Well, um... No. Okay, um... Death Tank is kind of a clone of an, uh, another game. I'm trying to remember the, um, the title. But um, it's basically worms. Mm-hmm. Or, um, with tanks. Yeah. And, or well, if you worms want a, actually has plenty of death. but Yeah. Or if you want a um, more direct comparison, it's basically a clone of a game called Scorch Earth on the PC. Um, Pro Jared did a profile on it. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, the Duke Nukem uh, 3D had, you know, it's like the first version appeared in Power Slave, and the second one had uh, Death Tanks Y, which is considered to be an improved version, so like up to eight people could play. Now, um, I never personally played it because I never had that version of Duke Nukem 3D, but from everyone I've heard who did, it was basically the best part of the um, package. In fact, some people considered you were buying Death Tanks Y and you got a, a decent version of Duke Nukem 3D um, for your money. Huh. Yeah. Ah, I see now. That game's got a lot of clones of it. Yeah, it, it's like, it, it was hidden, you unlocked it uh, via code or if you destroyed every toilet in the game, which is really specific. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. And, um, I'm sure there's probably a um, developer inside joke on that one that we'll probably never find out. Possibly. Um, it's also worth noting uh, DF Retro did an examination of all the uh, console versions of Duke Nukem 3D that I recommend checking out um, to see how well everything ran back in the day or didn't run. I'm like, 
development in the you know uh, especially on consoles back in the mid uh, mid to late nineties wasn't exactly what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, like um, frame rates just wasn't as big a consideration then as it is uh, even say like the PlayStation Two era. Uh, so, uh, and I'll say it right now: there is no real reason to buy to get most of the ports of Duke Nukem 3D from that era, you know, because the definitive good PC version is so readily available. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I get you know, I would recommend getting the Saturn version strictly for Death Tanks Lie, honestly. Um, which is more than I can say for the PlayStation version. You know, um, kind of a janky conversion. Like, um, I'll be, uh, you know, it's like, I'll be honest, there's not much more to say about this one other than it it was a fairly straight conversion. Um, just having to deal with the PlayStation 1's, um, power deficiencies. Uh, but you did get some uh, exclusive bonus content. Like, uh, the the console version I played back in the day was Duke Nukem 64. Like, so Duke Nukem 64 was probably one of the last examples of Nintendo's um, overarching censorship. Mm-hmm. Because... Duke Nukem minus all the stuff that makes it Duke Nukem. Not quite. Um, okay, it still had pig, it still had pig aliens that you shoot. Well, it, it's like they didn't get rid of the violence. In fact, they replaced um, they replaced like the uh, I'm like I no, it's like no, they replaced the porn shop with a Duke Burger, which was a thing in the original game, but that was actually from the expansion pack. They mm-hmm. like and they did all uh, the typical stuff that uh, Nintendo did back then. You know, it, it's like all the more sexually explicit content, and uh, I think some of the language um, got censored. Although and the blood, yeah. I'm uh, and I really question why they did this because you know, yeah, okay, <laughs> this is a game that teenagers played, but it wasn't a game that teenagers were supposed to play. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You were censoring a game for adults for what reason? To appeal to teens? Like, you know what? The teen, like, I, some of them are going to buy this, but uh, trust me, I was a teenager when this thing was released. You wanted the good version. You, you, you censor it for kids because Robocop, Terminator, and Alien action figures. Yes. The uh-huh. nannies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, other things to note with the Duke Nukem uh, 64 conversion, there is no music because cartridge-based system. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you know, space was at a premium on that on that thing. I'm like, on the upside, you did have um, fully polygonal um, explosions, and the final boss was also all polygons. You know. Uh, a bit of a boaster there, but once again, I would not recommend uh, tracking down Duke Nukem 64. I'm like, if you need to play a port, uh, well, it's like, I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that all the the console ports are delisted. 
yeah. except for, you know, if the new one has come out on consoles yet. You know, it's important because I think I mentioned this last week because um, the really important uh, uh, Duke Nukem 3D ports consoles was the Xbox Live Arcade version because this instituted a rewind mechanic. You know, it's, uh, it's basically bringing Prince of Persia of the Sands of Time into Duke Nukem 3D. You know, um, what happens is if you die, you don't have to load up a save or anything. You just hit the rewind button. And that's a feature that's actually been missing from PCs uh, until the, the new version came out. But it's a great convenience thing and yeah. probably a uh, at least a viable alternative to quick save at any time stuff. Well, that's basically what it was. It's like instead of quick saving anywhere, you could just hit a button and, you know, you're, good, you're golden. I'm like, yeah, it's less important on a... Um, PC because you can just quick save and quick load. You know, this was a game that was built before checkpoints. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, so yeah, that's kind of the ports I want to cover. Uh, now, the next major game in uh, Duke Nukem uh, mainline thingy, like the mainline series or whatever you want to call it, was. Supposed to be Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah, they had that name on the burner for quite a while. Uh, well, they pretty much announced Duke Nukem Forever like uh, like in 1997, and that they were working on it. And we'll give a full episode to Duke Nukem Forever because obviously that needs a full episode to cover. Oh God, the oh, draw, boy. <laughs> I'm like, um, but in the interim, and um, keep in mind, Duke Nukem was a popular character in the late 90s, so he wasn't um, resting on a shelf for 11, 12 years, um, at least not in the um, like early, uh, late 90s, um, early 2000s era, um, because you had console spin-offs. Uh, really odd ones, because they changed the perspective. Um, Instead of being first-person shooters, um, they were third-person shooters. Uh, I suppose that, that makes a lot more sense considering consoles of the age. Do, like, I'll be honest, doing first-person uh, games on, like, say, the PlayStation 1 was kind of ass because um, at least until they supported the DualShock analog controller and that didn't really happen until Medal of Honor Underground. So, like, Duke Nukem didn't have the analog controllers. And, um, yeah, that's kind of important yeah. sometimes. And you could use the um, anal- you could use the one analog stick in um, Duke Nukem 64 and I believe even uh, the Saturn version of Duke Nukem 3D supported uh, the Knights 3D uh, game controller. You know, the, still, the problem is... Um, we learned pretty quickly in the PlayStation 2 era that two analog sticks is really the way to go. Um, when you're trying to control something in three dimensions, at least, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be, you know, like, it, it's not a perfect solution uh, compared to, for, uh, like, a mouse and keyboard, but it was about the best you could get because, the, uh, you know, the mouse and keyboard on the fucking PlayStation was really under-supported. 
But we're devolving into tangents here. So on the PlayStation, you had two spinoffs. You had um, Time to Kill, which was actually... I believe that came out in 1998. And... I'm trying to think. It's something else with time in it, because I remember this, that they were like two on different systems from different companies, Duke Nukem spinoff games involving time travel. Right, and um, the other one is the N64 game, Duke Nukem Zero Hour. Um, yeah, and they were developed by different companies. Uh, the PlayStation game was developed by N-Space, and the N64 game was developed by Eurocom. Now, it's like, and... I never played either of them because, honestly, I wasn't really interested in Duke Nukem um, on a console because I had seen what they had done on a console. and uh, I've heard, if nothing else, that they're not terrible. Yeah, it's like they, they seem to be decent. Like, they're decent spinoffs, um, which is more than could be said for um, Duke Nukem Planet of the Babes. Once again, I'm just going on conjecture here because, you know, I never played these, these games, sadly. It's just worth a mention. You know, and this is kind of just leading up to the big um, spinoff, uh, Duke Nukem Manhattan Project. So what this was... It, Get it? Because the Manhattan Project involved nukes. Yes. And so what Duke Nukem uh, Manhattan Project is, is a return to form. Literally. This was Duke Nukem returning to side-scrolls. Like, um... Not a return to the to the uh, familiar form, a return to the original form. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was basically returning Duke Nukem uh, to his origins, just with his new character, and, uh, you know, all the Duke Nukem 3D accoutrements. It's a pretty decent platformer. Like, you could get it on Steam as part of the 3D anthology pack, and um, I don't know when that's returning to the store. Because you can't, once again, all the Duke Nukem stuff got pulled. Because of Gears. Because ownership issues, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I wish I could do some justice to, like, you know, some of the lesser Duke Nukem spinoffs here. But, you know, I, I didn't, it's like, we don't really have a lot of retro equipment with us. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day, but not today. Anyway, um, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna about do it for uh, this part of the discussion. Um, you might think we would be continuing this next week, but I think we mentioned it at the top of the show. Nintendo is going to reveal the NX tomorrow morning. Well, we are currently calling it NX, so I'll be getting its official name tomorrow. Yes. Like, um, and. I'm expecting more, like, it's going to be a three-minute video, but I'm expecting more information to come out uh, during the week. So, oh, yeah. If nothing else, stuff is likely to leak once people know what to look for. Right. Well, it's like I, I've already seen uh, some rumors in my uh, in my uh, Twitter information network that uh, there's going to be more than just the video this week. I'm like, and... The point is, we're probably going to be talking about the NX or whatever we're calling it next week, whatever we're mm-hmm. calling it tomorrow. Uh, like, like I said, I did, like we're recording this live, and we don't have any information beyond Nintendo's 
unveiling it at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, my time. Yeah. Also, also, if you were thinking we were going to finish this this next week, uh, you haven't been paying attention to how our usual retrospective things go. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, we're kind of loose with that, because after that month of Zelda, I was just like, never... Never again. <laughs> so, Blood oaths were sworn. Yeah. So, if we don't talk about... Uh, the NX. Um, I suppose we will be talking about Duke Nukem Forever, so uh, just keep that in mind. And as a, you know, as a reminder, um, there is no MSP uh, tonight or the rest of the month. Like, so... Um, uh, and I'm kind of relieved that so that we, we're not on pins and needles wondering if we have a show after this for iCast. Like, um, be able to get to bed earlier and stuff. Yes, and um, also worth noting, we do have re- um, we have two reviews this week. Um, we have uh, first up, we are we have a review of One Piece: Burning Blood. There's another Bandai Namco game that's kind of been on the um, back burner for a while, but uh, finally getting to it. It's um, it's kind of a party fighter, I'd say. Like, mm-hmm. it's not quite Smash Brothers, but it's definitely related. Now, uh, it's much more Smash Brothers than, I'd say, Street Fighter, mm-hmm. from what I've played. Like, um, I'm not sure that's necessarily a good thing, but more on that in the actual review. Uh, and we are, we're also doing a review of uh, Cookie Clicker Plantera. Uh, the only reason I'm doing this is because I got a code for this sight unseen. Yeah. So, and it looks like a simple enough game. Oh, it's very simple. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm—I've put about two and a half hours in. I've pretty much seen all there is to it. I, I'm like in it, that genre. If your game is not very simple, you're doing something wrong. Well, it, well, here's the thing. It's kind of simplistic and automated, even for a cookie clicker. Ah. You know, it's like so. Yeah. Once again, get into that on Sunday. Um. Next week, we might be having a Euro interview. It depends on um, when some people get back to me. Um, I'll probably have an update on that on Sunday. On next week, we are going to be having Douglas Watt of Active Games Media. You might know them better as Playism. Uh, he is the game director of the remake of The Silver Case, an early, an early uh, Suda 51 game. Uh, that was that was like the one that he got his uh, yeah, name known yeah, from. Yeah, it's like it, it, it's actually really important to his persona. It's just you know it was re- it was released in Japan only in PlayStation. Like and nobody gave a shit about Suda Fifty One until Killer Seven. So that's our schedule for the week ahead. And until next time, I wish you good gaming.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.